If you're kind of new with us or if you're just tuning in for the first time, whether it's online or maybe first time seeing this at a correctional facility, um, I I just want to say we've been kind of over the summer taking a, a meander through the book of Acts and really talking about the church that is unstoppable, this force that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and nothing is going to stop. And here's what's really cool about that. You and I are proof of it. Because we're part of the church 2,000 years later, and it's still going strong. Amen? And I love that. And uh, listen, next week, we're going to hit pause on this series for one week. Then I'll be back after that for At the Movies. Do not miss it. Bring somebody with you. If there's somebody in your life that you're thinking, man, they're not really, I don't know if they love church. They will love next week. Okay, and it's going to be a family type experience, so it's going to be chaotic and fun. All right, so make sure you're here for that next week. All right, now as we're talking about the church, here's what I I know, and I, I I just want to say the church in all of its ugliness over the years, and for all its failures and and jacked up leaders and bad things that have done in the name of God, I, I get all that. Uh, the church I believe is still the most beautiful community in the world. I really believe that. I I believe that you're not going to find another community in this world that will be as accepting and embracing of people. This is my hope and my desire. Uh, Let alone to have what Jesus really established and said, this is this represents me. And, And here's the thing. My hope and desire through this entire series is that maybe we could reframe church for you, for some of you at least. For some of you that maybe you're here because someone invited you or you're just like, man, we should go to church. And so let's go to that church. Let's go to X church. Let's go to the one over there in Canal Winchester. Can, can I just say this? I, I want us to all understand something. It's like though we are here and we're maybe in a spot in a building that the church is not a building and that you are the church. And, and so I just want us to understand that. And, and here's what's beautiful about it. It's made up of imperfect people. We're all imperfect. We're all trying to figure it out. We're all, and myself included, we're all a mess. And, and I often say that if you, if you are looking for a perfect church, you will never find it. Stop trying to find the perfect church. Just find one that you can be part of, one that you believe in the heartbeat and the vision, and you'll follow the leadership and move forward. Because Jesus said, I'm building something. You want to get in on it. I promise you, you do. Here's the thing. When you think about the church and You know, throughout the years, the church has done a lot of dumb things, and I get that. I I understand all that. You say, why? I I would argue that maybe it had something to do with the people that Jesus picked to lead it. Now, now can can I just say this? Like, if you were in Jesus' shoes, let's go back a couple thousand years ago, and you had it on your mind, you're like, I'm going to start something, a movement, an organization, you call it whatever you want. I'm going to start a movement, and... um, it's going to be so powerful, it's going to last thousands of years. Governments come and go, whatever, it doesn't matter. And it's going to be worldwide. If you decided today that you were going to start a movement like that, I want you to think about the team of people that you would first hire to start it. And then I want you to go read in the Gospels about who Jesus picked. Because Jesus picked some of the most unlikely people you would ever pick to start a movement. Can we understand this? Okay, the people that Jesus picked are ones like, you would not touch them if you were starting your organization that you were hoping to reach and go worldwide. I mean, I think about some of the people that he picked. I mean, he picked a guy named Matthew who was a tax collector. 
Everybody hated tax collectors, just like you hate IRS. Okay, but it was even worse because most of them were siphoning money off of them, stealing money, traitors. Everybody hated tax collectors. Matthew was a tax collector. Jesus said, oh, I like that about you. I'll take you anyways. No, that's good. Then he picks these guys, uh, Peter and Andrew, their brothers, James and John, their brothers. Together, they have a fishing business. These are blue-collar workers. They were uneducated. In fact, you should know this, that at this time in Palestine, if you were a Jewish person, that the literacy rate was only about 3%. None of them, they didn't know how to read or write except for probably their name. She's like, ah, but man, you got a mean cast. I mean, I watched you and it's like, that's good. Come on, you wanna join my team? I mean, think about this, okay? Who there are people. There was a guy on Jesus's team. His name was Simon, okay? He was known as Simon the Zealot. Now, now the reason why you were called a zealot is because you are a political activist. You are somebody who was so zealous. You're always like, what's the next uprising? How are we gonna overthrow Rome? I'm thinking to myself, how often did Jesus have to course correct that guy? Simon, stop. We are not doing that. Put the sword away. I'm just, you know, these are the people that he picked. He, He even allowed a guy named Judas to join his team. This guy's negative and he's pessimistic and he's, he's, corrupt, he's evil, he betrays Jesus, and he's like, dude, I mean, come on, join my team. It's not just the guys, it was also the girls. Some of the women that followed Jesus and said, can I, can I follow and go around and support you? Yeah, there was women who, one woman who had multiple demons, she was possessed, okay, possessed, crazy spirits, lots of them, Jesus cast out the spirits, and he's like, all right, you're good now, let's go. And then there's that woman who was a prostitute, and he was like, hey, you don't need to do that anymore. Just come on and hang out with me. I'm like, I just want you to imagine these are the people that Jesus picked to start his church. Now, why does that matter? You know what I started thinking? If Jesus would choose people like that, then maybe he would choose me. Can I say it this way? If Jesus would choose people like that, then maybe he would choose you. And why do I say that? Because I think that there's a mentality, even today, a lot of us say, I'll go to that church, but that's it. I mean, I, I go to church. I attend that church. You know, a couple times a month, I go to that. I, I, I'm a church goer, I'm a church person. I'm good with church. I go to church. And what I want to say to you today is that maybe, maybe you could... Stop seeing the church as the place you go and start recognizing you are the church. And that Jesus wants to use you to change the world. Can I say that? Some of you don't believe it. In fact, maybe you're here today and you don't feel like you could be used by God. When you think about the past that you've had, when you think about all the things you've done, some of you would maybe even say, Pastor, if we sat down for 15 minutes and I told you about my life, you'd probably go, yep, you're right. God is not going to use you. Some, some of you might feel that way. Some of you today, it it might not even be that. It could just be you aren't even convinced that Jesus is who you guys, who we think he is. In fact, I just want to say today, if you're here, you're watching this, and maybe you're someone you'd say, you know what, Um, I'm not really sure about this whole Jesus talk, and I think maybe you're all a little crazy. You're following a guy that walked around on this earth 2,000 years ago. I don't really understand it, and I'm not really sure that I believe it then you're really gonna love today's story. 
If you're not sure if God would ever use you to do more than come and sit in a seat, then you're going to really love today's story. So if you've got a Bible with you, I would love for you to get it out on an electronic device. And if you don't have a Bible, listen, can I just tell you, as a church, we'd love to give you one. We would absolutely, you, today, if you're in person, you stop out at Next Steps and say, can I have one of those Bibles? Free. We're going to give it to you. If you're watching this online and, and you go, I don't have a Bible, you message us, email us, we will mail it to you. I got a lot of staff. I will send them on Monday and put a Bible in the mail, okay? And so if you have a Bible, Acts chapter 9, we're, we're going to pick up the story of a guy named Saul. How many have ever heard any stories about a guy named Saul? Raise your hand. Okay, there's a good number of you have. That's cool. Um, his story doesn't really start in Acts chapter 9. It starts in Acts chapter 7. Let, let me back up just a moment. Just kind of just hold your spot there in Acts chapter 9. It starts in Acts 7. Now, the reason why you're going, well, how come I haven't heard of them before? And we're doing this series where we're going through Acts and we're doing this. It's because I let other people preach. And they skipped over it. It's not my fault, okay? Don't look at me like that. We're not going to hit it all. You're going to have to read it on your own. But in Acts chapter 7, let me, let me just tell you what happened. A very significant moment that really began to change the landscape of the church. That and what happens in Acts 9. Acts chapter 7, there was a guy named Stephen that was one of these followers of Jesus that, um, that the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they, they, they heard him and he was, he was saying all these things about Jesus. And they actually thought that he was blaspheming their God. Because they were talking about Jesus as God, and they didn't see it that way. And so they kind of arrested him, kind of bum-rushed him. A big mob scene takes off, and Stephen's trying to defend himself, and he shares this incredible message about what he believes, and it was not anything to violate their, their belief system. In fact, it was to take it to the next level and all the prophecies, and this is what he does. And it didn't matter. They were mad. They were ready to shut this thing down. And so all the religious rulers and leaders of the day, a lot of them part of the Pharisees, the this, this sect that kind of were governing, ruling, they all decided that they were going to stone him to death. They voted to have him killed, thinking he had blasphemed their God. Okay? And so as they're all voting, all these, it says, and we get this little verse at the end of Acts chapter 7, this is where we first hear about this young guy, he's actually young, named Saul. And it says, as they're getting ready to stone them, they're all grabbing rocks, and they decide they're going to take their coats off and all this stuff. And it says that they lay all their coats at the feet of this young guy named Saul, who had given his approval. So if there's a vote, he already cast his vote to have Stephen killed. So Saul, you first see him, he's coat checked for all the people that are going to go stone Stephen. He's there guarding all of their valuables while they go and they kill this guy. The first martyr, the first person murdered that we find out of this group of people who say, I follow Jesus. Now, Saul is there and something switched in him. That's the only, only way I could describe it. Something triggered in him, Okay. And, and, and I want to read to you just a couple of verses from Acts 8, verses 1 through 3, and then we'll get to Acts 9. Okay? It says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, pause for just a second. I want to remind us. If you were here week one, right, 
Jesus said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem till you receive power from on high and you will be my witnesses. Where? He said in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's going to start here and it's going to go out. That's Acts 1.8. Acts 8.1 is when it actually started to happen. And it happened on the day persecution broke out. And so here we are, it says in verse 2, that godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Verse 3, but Saul, he began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. This one, like, mob moment sparked this massive persecution, and Saul's going to lead the way. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Saul at this point. We know that he was a Pharisee which means he was literate. He would have been trained. He wasn't, they went blue collar. Like you went to school. It's like you, you went to Ivy League and you're gonna go to you know, college, undergrad, grad. So he, he was trained. He probably could read. He could write. He, he was trained in all the religious rules. I mean, this was a religious leader, okay, young. And he was also a Roman citizen. We learned that later in the story, most likely because his dad, his dad probably served in the Roman army. And by, by default, that ended up allowing them to become Roman citizens. So he, we don't know much about him, but we know this, that all of a sudden when this, this moment happened, it set something off in Saul, and Saul decides, I don't know why, but I'm going to make a name for myself. He's young. I got a lot to prove. I'm going door to door, and I'm going to find every one of these Jesus people, and I'm going to drag them off and put them into prison, Okay. So this is the context of what we're going to find in Acts chapter 9. All right, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Let's start there. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Saul has a real issue with these Jesus people. Did you notice that? I'm trying to figure out, why are you so angry, Saul? That's what I'm trying to figure out. You know, did, did your mom not swaddle you or maybe a little too tight when you were little? Like, what do you have against these Jesus people? Okay, these are not, this is not a group of people that are trying to uh, overthrow the Jewish ruling group. These are not a group of people who are trying to overthrow Rome. These are people who claim that they have seen Jesus come back from the dead, and they just want to go about and love people like Jesus did. That's it. I just want to show love. I want to care for people. We just want to take care of each other, and we want to just tell you that there is hope for you. What's so bad about that? I don't know, but Saul is so set off that he's like, I'm, I would love Here's what it said. I love what it says. It says that he's like breathing murderous threats. If I could collect all of you guys up, I would shove you off a cliff. He's a nice guy, isn't he? This is Saul, right? This, this is so much so that Saul gets permission from the high priest so he can travel to Damascus, which is in Syria, so that he could find some more. Hey, guys. Would you let me go hunt down these guys? Like, can I do a little Hunger Games type of thing? I'm going to go all the way up there. Now, I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy because it's not like he just went to the town next door. 
To get from Jerusalem to Damascus, you would have to travel about 160, 150, 160 miles through desert, mountainous region, danger. Like, it, took, it would take about two weeks. Two weeks to travel to Damascus. You're going to go do all that because you hate them that much? What did they do to you? And it says that he wants to go and find all of the people of the way. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before, but th- this label of Christians did not exist at this point. And they called them the people of the way. Notice that was a capital W. Why did they call them people of the way? I'll tell you why. It's because of what Jesus declared. Jesus made really bold statements, and one of them was found in John 14, 6. Here's what Jesus said. He said, I am the way. I'm the truth. There's a lot of people saying this. No, 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 right here. This is what Jesus said. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Now, here's where it got really bold. He said, and no one, no one gets to God, the Father, but through me. Not your rules and not your laws and not your, he said, no one gets to the Father unless you go through me. Now, can, can we all just agree, and this is one of the reasons why they hated him so much, that what Jesus had to say was incredibly exclusive. That's exclusive. Doesn't matter, I don't care about your gods and all this stuff, that's, that's all great. But listen, here's what, this was the message of Jesus, by the way. He said, I am the only way. That's why he called them. The people, they think that way and they think that's the only way. He said, I am the only way. That's incredibly exclusive. But listen, Jesus' message was also incredibly inclusive too. Here's what Jesus' message was. And if you're new to church, this is the message of Jesus. He said, I'm the only way. That sounds exclusive, I get it. But then he would say this, but everybody's welcome. I'm the only way, but everybody's welcome. Can I just tell you, that's also the message of the church. That's the message of Jesus' followers. That should be the message that we all embrace if we're gonna be part of his church, that he is the only way, but all are welcome. It's both exclusive and inclusive at the same time, and it creates attention. It creates attention in the world. How dare you say that he's the only way? And it created attention within the religious what do you mean? We don't let everybody in. And, and here's, here's what I want us to understand if we're going to be part of the church, his church. What I want us to understand when you think about Saul, who's, who's, who's so put off and he's going to go and I'm, I'm going to round them all up. and I'm, We better expect haters. But we do a lot of good. doesn't matter. Expect haters. If you're going to follow Jesus, you better expect some hate. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus told his disciples before this, he, he told his disciples, he said, if the world hates you, they hated me first. This is the guy who's like, his primary message is love. He would go to all the people that the rest of society didn't want to touch. And yet his message is so exclusive and all-inclusive that people don't know what to do with it. And it creates a tension. And if I could just tell you, this is the message of the church and it's going to create a tension. And I think that there's a lot of us that have kind of grown up in this Western American safe version of Christianity where it's easy for me to go to a church and sit in a seat and I don't have to worry about too many haters. 
But I need you to know something if you're going to be part of this church is that we're going to do whatever we can to reach people with that message. And you know what that means? The more we continue to step out and the more we continue to share the message of Jesus, the more we're going to attract haters. I'm okay with that. And I need you to know that and be prepared. Don't be shocked when there are people who will say all kinds of things about you because you're part of Jesus' church. You will be called like, oh, you go to that cult? Oh, mm. you, I can't believe that you believe that. I can't believe you do that. You, we could do the greatest things ever. Jesus healed people and loved people and touched people and was compassionate toward everyone, and they still hated him. And so listen, if we want to make an impact in this world, we better expect some hate. Can I just tell you, the, the more influence your church community gets, the more hate you can expect. You understand that, right? You understand that the bigger you get, the bigger target you get on your back? Oh, it's only a matter of time before I've got some great haters out there. They're gonna start cutting up things from my message and reposting on YouTube, saying, look at this false teacher, look at this. They're gonna pull things out of context, never listen to an entire message. It's only a matter of time, because that exists, trust me. Oh, by the way, it's only the religious people that do that. It's only religious people that do that. People like Saul, really religious. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of this. And, and the reason why I say that is because it's important that we remain focused. Our job is not to defend ourselves, what we believe, or Jesus. Mm-mm. That's not our job. You don't, we don't need to get into social media wars. Nah, that's not our job. That's not our job. Our job is to stay focused on loving people, loving them well, being generous, serving our community, extending hope to people. That's our job. We just believe that if God is for us, who can be against us? I don't need to get down into the trenches. I don't need to get into all these kind of fights. I don't need that. I'm going to stay focused, and guess what? I know this. Jesus has my back. Jesus. How do I know that? Because of what Jesus did in this moment. See, if you don't know the story, let me, let me read it for you because it picks up in verse 3. It says this, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why? And, and here's Saul's response. Who are you, Lord? He doesn't recognize what he's looking at, who he sees, what he's hearing. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could not see. He couldn't see anything. He could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, now, this is the part of the story, if you maybe grew up in church and Sunday school, this is the part we, we love to teach this to our little kids. Here's Saul on a donkey riding to Damascus. We, we don't talk about how he's like, oh, I want to kill him if I can. We don't, you know, okay, and here's Saul. And then all of a sudden, a bright light comes from heaven, and it's so bright. And Saul looked up, and he saw the sun, and, and, and he saw the Son of God, and it was so bright that it blinded him. And so we teach him, like, you know, don't look directly into the sun or it'll burn your retinas. <laughs> Different sun, but whatever. It's cheesy, I know. And, 
And he gets knocked off of his animal, and he has this encounter with Jesus, a supernatural encounter with the risen Jesus. And it's so bright that he, he can't even see. You know, it's interesting. This wasn't the first time that some people had experienced Jesus that bright. Some of his disciples experienced it when Jesus changed and transfigured in front of them. And it was so bright, like the brightest white you can imagine. But, but this was focused. I mean, right on you, Saul. And, and, um, and that's when, when Jesus spoke to him. Now, the rest of them didn't hear, but, but Saul had this encounter. And it was real. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are, why are you coming after me? What did I do to you? Why are you coming at me? That's what he said. And, and what's interesting is in some translations, they don't, they don't give you a little phrase that Jesus said. Now, how do we know that? Because later when Paul was standing in trial, that's Saul's other name, by the way, Paul. He's standing in trial before a guy named King Agrippa, he is recounting this moment. And he, he gives a little bit more detail. Jesus, he said, why are you persecuting me? And then he gave this little phrase. It's kind of a weird phrase. Jesus said to him, it's hard to kick against the goads. Now that's a weird phrase, right? I get it. It's hard to kick against the goads. Now, l- let me explain what Jesus said to him. And it's a picture that he would have gotten, okay? Um, I don't, have you ever... Any of you ever been horseback riding? Raise your hand if you've ever been horseback riding. Okay, you, you get this. Some of you go, I would not be caught dead on one of those animals. If you ever go horseback riding, one of the things they'll teach you is to get the horse to move, you gotta hit it, okay? You do. It, it sounds terrible, I know, but they'll tell you, you can't hurt this animal. They're big. They'll tell you, take your heels and uh, hit it on the side, and it's called goading. This is, this is goading the animal. This is it meant prodding or pricking or trying to get her. So if they had to get some oxen to move, they would go. They would, it's how you get them to move. What Jesus was saying is this, Saul. It's hard to kick against the goat. In other words, you're kicking against something that's a lot bigger than you are. You think you're in control of this ride? You're digging your heels in something that's going to hurt. That's what he said to him. I love it in this moment because there's Jesus saying, reminding us, I said that the church would be unstoppable and you're trying to stop it. I wouldn't do that. That's what he was saying. Now here's what's interesting, okay, about Saul. Saul was convinced he was doing the right thing. I want us to to really consider this. Saul was absolutely convinced everything in him I am zealous for God in his religious mindset. Here's what he thought. I, I'm doing everything I can to do what is right. You know what's interesting is I find especially today in our culture, it can be really easy to fall in line with some things in our world and our culture today and think we're doing everything right and never realizing that we're on the opposite side of God. Uh, Proverbs 16, 25 is a great little reminder. It says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to what? Death. There, there are a lot of people, can we all agree, in our culture that all think I'm doing all the right things and I'm saying all the right things and it's the politically correct things to say and to do. And there's so many different things that we're doing today in our culture. And listen, as people who follow Jesus, 
Or shall I say, maybe there's some of you who are really religious, because you can be religious and not follow Jesus too. That, that we can think in our minds, I'm doing all the right things, and yet you can never even know that you're on the opposite side of God's purpose. And I think that this is actually a warning for us. If you're gonna follow Jesus, I, I take it as a little bit of a warning for us. What do I mean by that? I'm just saying, could it be, and I'm just throwing this out, and I'm sure it's not true in your case, but could it be that maybe your political leanings might actually put you on the opposite side of God's purpose? I didn't say which side. I'm just asking. Or let me, say, let me say it this way. What if your political persuasion actually creates an enemy out of somebody that Jesus wanted you to reach? Oh. Well, I'm right and righteous and justified. Yeah, and you might be on the opposite side of God's purpose. Or here's another one. And I'm just talking to the church today. So if you're kind of like, I'm not really sure, this isn't about you. This is about us, okay? I'm talking about the church today. Or here's another one that I find. That, that sometimes people maybe either have a bad experience or sometimes maybe they don't like something that another church or a pastor or a ministry would post or say or I can't believe they believe that or they do that. And so what do we want to do? I'm going to go around and warn everybody I know. Well, I wouldn't go there. I went there once. Hey, pastor was teaching something. It was, I, I don't know, but man, I'm telling you, I'm not even sure he's saved. You know, you know, one of the things that, I know being in ministry would probably give you this perspective, but it often doesn't, is that one of the things that I, I feel like God will constantly remind me, there's sometimes of this, but for the most part, I don't ever want to speak badly about something else that God might bless because I don't like it or because I maybe don't believe the same thing. Because how do you not know that maybe there's somebody that God is going to use that person to reach that you could never reach? See, I don't want to be on the opposite side of God. I, I don't. Or, you know, like where we love to argue about our denominational differences or our theology and get into it on social media. Shoot, you're not even saved because you believe that and you're into this. Really? Can I, can I just tell you that when it comes to what Jesus' heart is for the world and through the church, all I know is that there's a lot of religious people that really feel very justified to gossip, feel very justified to talk and demean and disparage other people, other churches, other ministries. Hey, I'm just doing the Lord's work. I just want to make sure everybody knows. No, you're not. You might actually be opposing God's purpose. And I'm going to tell you something. I do not want to be on the other side of God. I do not want to be on the other side of God. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have convictions. Okay, I'm not saying that. You can have all the convictions you want in the world. I'm not saying you shouldn't have political convictions and society convictions and government convictions. You can have all the beliefs you want in that. But listen, the problem is whenever those things become more important than the person across the way who looks different and thinks different, comes from a different background, then you are on the opposite side of God. Because God is on the side of people. Not political parties, people. And whenever you put yourself on the other side and they become your enemy, you've missed it. You missed it. And here's what Saul did. I, oh, he is so right. He's so zealous. I'm going to take care of it. You, oh, but Saul, I, I wouldn't want to be on the other. 
it's hard to kick against the goads. In other words, it's actually going to hurt you far more than it's going to hurt me. That's, that's what God said to him. And here's Saul who's about to lead the charge into Damascus to go round them all up. And then he meets Jesus. And now he needs other people to lead him into the city. And he can't see. See, God's actually working something in all of this. And you, you find in verse 10, can, can we look at verse 10? It says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. I've already given him another vision that a guy named Ananias, and now I'm talking to you, Ananias. And Lord Ananias answered, I love this. Oh, I've heard about that guy. That's what he said. Mm-mm. All the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. By the way, God, that's me. Jesus, uh, you, you don't want me to go there, right? Look at verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, I love this, that one word, go. Everybody say go. He said, no, 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 go. Ananias, he said, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I love this moment because Ananias is like, I would not be caught dead on Straight Street near Judas's house. Because there's that dude from Tarsus, Saul, uh uh-uh. And God says, no, I want you to go see him. And Ananias Ananias is like, not that guy. Not that guy, not that guy. Has God ever prompted your heart to go speak to somebody at work, to go say something to that family member that you can't stand who always says mean things about you? Has God ever prompted your heart to say something to her, you know, and to maybe go up and offer to pray for somebody who's going through something, but you're not really sure if God's actually gonna move, so I don't really wanna do it? Has there, you know what we'll say? Oh, not that guy. Oh, not her. Hey, I want you to go love that family member who is mean, and nasty, and I want you to just, I just want you to love on her today. Oh, not her. Not her. I love it. And you know what God says to him? A one word sentence with an exclamation point after it. Go. This isn't optional. You don't want to be kicking against the goads either, Anna. And I, I'm just assuming that, and, and this is what's interesting to me. God, you got the wrong person. And Jesus is like, no, I actually have the right one. You know what he said about Saul? It's kind of messes with you. You know, because Saul was, he was awful. He said, he's my chosen instrument. Wait, wait, wait. That dude wants to kill us. He's, got, he's passionate and he's aggressive and he's direct, and he runs after, he's coming after us. And Jesus is like, yep, I want all of that. I'll just turn it around. I want all of that. God, oh, oh, but he's passionate. He's, I know that's exactly what I want. I'll just turn it around. And all of a sudden, I'm like reading about this, and I just felt really convicted because I realize that I see people differently than God sees them. Can I give you just two thoughts to wrestle with? Maybe you're gonna take these and just 
I like to say sit in your spirit this week. Maybe today you'll have a conversation about somebody that God's gonna put into your life. And that is, the first one is this. Never write someone off because of what they've done. Never write someone off because of their history. Never write someone off because of what they're doing right now. See, that's hard because we don't do that. We're really, we're really good judges most of the time. I mean, I see what they post, you know, and I, I, I know the story of what he and they did. And so we, we think we're really good judges of their potential, don't we? And so we can write people off or they could be someone that's like, I'm anti-God. Man, God, would you just take care of them? God's like, no, you don't understand. The way they think, I actually want that. You know, the, this, it's all about how we see people. A lot of times, the, the people in our life that are a pain that cause us pain, we look at them and, man, I just see a problem. God says, I see potential there. You see somebody and they're broken and messed up and you go, my gosh, I wouldn't even let my kids play with their kids. God says, I see somebody that I would love to redeem and I would love to change the course of their life and then I would love to use them and their story. Oh, you see somebody and you go, they're a lost cause. And God says, no, they just need a cause. They just need a cause. See, I want to remind us of the people that Jesus picks. Jesus picks the unqualified. He picks the unlikely. He picks the overlooked. He picks, he picks the Matthews that are criminals that steal money from their own people. And, and then he changes their life. And he says, I bet you have a lot of criminal friends, don't you? Let's go have dinner at your house. Invite them all. How do you reach a bunch of criminals? Save one of them. He does it with Peter. Peter's the guy that starts the church as the first pastor, the first guy to preach. Just days before, he denied even knowing Jesus. I think about Thomas. He invited Thomas to join the team. Thomas was the guy that missed when Jesus came back after he had first appeared after rising from the dead. And Thomas is the one that says, oh, I know you all are excited and you say so, but unless I see the marks, unless I see it, no way, I'm not believing. Now, why would Jesus have chosen someone like that? It could be that he knows that there are people that only somebody with that kind of approach would, Thomas would be able to go reach when Thomas says, oh, I was the same way. Trust me, dude. I didn't believe it, but I actually saw it. And that's why I will die for it. And then God said, I'm gonna send Thomas to a place like India. See, God will pick the most unlikely people and then one encounter with Jesus and then it changes their life. And now they're the perfect person to go and take the message. So listen, never write someone off. I'll say because of what they've done, or I want to say this, or maybe even because of what they're doing right now. Mm -mm, mm -mm. See, when you do that, you, you discredit the power of grace. Let me give you the second one. Maybe this will be a little bit more personal. And that is this. Never write yourself off because of what you've done. You know, I, I found that a lot of times I, I can actually have more grace for other people than I can myself. You ever feel that way? Like, oh, God can, God could save Saul and use him. 
but I don't think he can do that with me. I wonder if there's someone that's here today, you're watching this, and you say, I, I, don't, I don't think God would ever do anything with me. I'm not even really sure if he is real. And I've found that I can have more grace for you than I can for myself. And for whatever reason, I don't understand why, there's so many who follow Jesus can be completely satisfied with simply just attending church rather than saying, would you use me? And then making yourself available to be used by him. And I'm not saying that to be condemning or anything. I just, I'm just trying to say there's more in you than you see. That's what I'm trying to say. And a lot of times it's because of that, how I see myself. If you knew everything I've done, Pastor, if you knew where I've been, if you knew the things that we did, if you know how we've messed up. If you know, yeah, that's how you see yourself. But can I tell you something? That's not how God sees you. That's a problem. I got a record. God says, I can use that. Oh, you'll be a trophy of my grace. Oh, my gosh. Now you've got a story to tell. No, you don't understand, man. I've been an addict most of my life. Oh, I know. And if you can be addicted to drugs, one moment with me, I'll make you addicted to the gospel. And you can go out and you're, I'm going to use you to change the world. No, you don't understand. I've been divorced three times and I can't. Oh, I know that. But guess what? There's somebody else who feels like nobody wants them. There's somebody else that's gone through that kind of pain. And I'm going to use yours. Never write yourself off. You see, the thing is, and the reason why for many of us, maybe church has become a place we attend rather than seeing ourselves as the one that Jesus wants to use is because maybe we have a religion. But I'm asking, have you ever had a real encounter with Jesus? Saul was religious until he met Jesus. Please hear me. You can be religious and haven't met Jesus. You can sit in church for 25 years and haven't met Jesus. And if you had an encounter with him, I'm not talking about fake and I'm not, I'm talking about a real encounter. Can I just tell you when I was 17 years old, I had grown up my entire life in church. My parents were pastors. I could, I could quote you more books of the Bible, Bible verses you could imagine. I knew all the right answers. I knew Jesus died for my sin. I knew all of that. But it wasn't until I was in a youth camp, just, just like we're going to send our, our students to passion camp soon. It was in a moment like that. excited, aren't we? Hello. You know what? It's a life-changing moment they could have. I'm not talking about church. You can send church for years. Please hear me. I'm, I'm pausing awkwardly enough because there are some of you that have been sitting in church for years that are shaking your head yes. And I'm asking you, when did you have a real encounter with Jesus? when I was 17 years old, he didn't knock me off of a donkey, but I got off my seat and got on my knees 
And I had a revelation of who Jesus was that I'd never had before. And it, when you see him differently, you see yourself differently. When you experience grace, it changes everything about yourself and how you see the world. And, and all of a sudden, I, I stopped going to church when I was 17 years old. And I started to be the church. It's my prayer, it's my hope, maybe for some of you, that you would just, it would hit you today. God wants to use you. Do you know that? God wants to use you. I had a woman that came up to me after the last experience. Craziest story. I don't have time to get into it. But one of the most unlikely people ever reached out to her and said, I need help in the situation I'm in. Somebody that she really had every reason to not help. That's all I'm going to say. She said, come over and stay with me. And she brought her to church today. And I said, you're being Jesus. That's what it looks like. Never disqualify somebody that God has already qualified and chosen. Amen? And that includes you. That includes you. Would you all stand to your feet? Let's pray. I just sense the Spirit of God is here. And I don't know who, but there's somebody right now that God is pressing into your heart. And maybe he's revealing who he is to you. God, I pray right now for all of us as a church that we could live and look with eyes of grace on the world around us and ourselves included. Listen, as we're praying, I, I don't know who, but I sense right now there's some in here in this room, maybe even watching online, that this is your soul moment. Maybe for the first time ever, you've, you have a sense of faith rising inside of you. You don't even understand it. I want to say there's some of you that maybe you've, you've been around church and faith and religion your entire life. Maybe a different religion. But right now, you're sensing something. Let me tell you what it is. You're having an encounter with Jesus through the Spirit of God. And if you will say yes, God wants to change your life and use you for his purpose and maybe right now this is, this is your moment this is that moment for you if you're ready to, to say Jesus I surrender my life to you I'm going to ask you to do me a favor on the count of three I'm going to ask you to stick your hand up in the air and just hold it up for me and then I want to lead you in prayer but I just really believe that God's pressing my heart there's someone here today if not many of you today it's time to make a decision it's time to surrender to him. If that's you on the count of three, would you lift your hand? One, two, three. Lift your hand. Wow. 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 Father, I pray for every person right now, all over this room, maybe watching this online. I pray for that person, Lord, today. This is your prayer. Would you just say this with me? This is a real moment, you and God. We talked about Saul's conversion. This is your conversion by faith, would you just say, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior today. I ask you to rescue me. I ask you to forgive me. 
Today I come to the Father through you, Jesus. And I believe you died for me and rose again. I sense your presence right now. And with the faith that I have, I give my life to you. And I choose to follow you for the rest of my days. We pray this together as a church family in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, can we just thank God for all the people today? Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We want to connect with you and we want to be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.